welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones. And now, perhaps, just maybe, the officially unofficial podcast for House of the Dragon, HBO's new uh, Game of Thrones prequel. This, Aaron, is going to be a podcast where we talk about that very show, House of the Dragon, uh, everything we know about it. We're going to kind of sum it up there. There's been a little bit of info that has come out. Uh, you know, about the production, the state of production, um, some casting news. We we kind of have a basic timeline of when this story is going to take place in the Game of Thrones or, you know, a Song of Ice and Fire universe. Um, so we're going to kind of go over what we do know so far. I did want to say before we get started, though, that uh, a big thank you to Anthony, who has been doing the Electric Bookaloo podcast for the last uh, two seasons. It's been like four, four months, five months, mm-hmm, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of keeping the feed warm for us here as we transition from from Game of Thrones to House of the Dragon. Uh, you're probably going to see a lot of changes in 2022 as we get closer to the show to this particular feed. But this will be the podcast where we will do all of our coverage of House of the Dragon. So if you are subscribed to this podcast, stay subscribed to it. If you're going to be watching House of the Dragon, we'll be talking about everything House of the Dragon right here. Yeah, but it, the 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 art and the title and the music might shift to reflect the House of the Dragon more than the Game of Thrones. You got to um, get that organic search traffic, man. You got to do it. Yeah. Otherwise, you're dead. Yeah, you got to. Um, and we're going to be talking about a lot. We're going to talk about what we know about it, uh, what we know of the history, uh, what we know of the casting and characters, the filming locations. And we're going to yeah. also talk a little bit meta because obviously yeah. um, there's some some mixed emotions, some mixed feelings uh, around the Game of Thrones franchise. Uh, you the heard of Ice and Fire franchise. You've heard our podcast around the end of Game of Thrones See, season eight. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, there's also a reason to, to be kind of optimistic and ho- hopeful about them. It's, you know, what the audience yeah. is going to do with it's interesting. But it's also been frustrating because, you know, uh, Game of Thrones ended and there was all these plans. There was going to be uh, first a greenlit uh, series. It was going to be set in like prehistory of Game of Thrones, like right when the wall was being built and the White Walkers were first walking. And I was kind of excited got- about that. Yeah, did that that kind of got shit canned, and then we heard some like, "Well, there's going to be some Duncan Egg stuff." That's kind of a popular series that George Martin has wrought, written a lot of short stories and some comic book installments, and then that got, and then now we got the this uh, House of the Dragon, which I don't know, um, maybe George writing the Fire and Blood uh, Volume One history, which about yeah. half of that deals with this time period. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also, Anthony, speaking of Anthony, uh, we did a three part deep dive in the volume one of uh, Fire and Blood uh, back two years ago. And a lot of the material, the historical material, if you if you want to check it out about the Dance of the Dragons, because that's what um, this era of Game of Thrones or in the Song of Ice and Fire universe is widely called like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, Game of Thrones is, was set during or after the period of Robert's Rebellion. Um, you know, you've also heard of like the Blackfire Rebellion, perhaps Aegon's conquering. Uh, this is the, uh, the, the dance of the dragons, um, which is a pretty storied history of, of, uh, uh, Game of Thrones, the universe, the Westeros universe, and really did a lot to, um, weaken the hold, the stranglehold that the Targaryens had on the continent of Westeros. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a tragic civil war. Uh, with a lots of twists and turns, and uh, 
it's interesting because you know there's a lot of the big beats you know if you go yes. to the wiki of ice and fire or world of ice and fire again fire and blood you'll you'll see kind of like a you know the like a like in history when you read about the different battles of world war ii or the civil war but like those books as well a lot of the characters are kind of thin, you know, they're, they did this thing and for maybe this reason, but what were their motivations? What was their background? What were their loyalties? Mm -hmm. Um, those things are kind of like not really dealt with, not deep dives. And that's the stuff that really makes game of Thrones pop, right? The intrigue for sure. The backstabbing, um, the ancient rivalries. So there's still a lot, even though we know a lot about this, um, and this is a complete story. We know how it ends. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's still a lot of room for mystery and intrigue. This kind of stuff that that draws Game of Thrones fans to this. Well, and the the time period specifically, this Dance of Dragons, um, everything you know, both what's leading up to it, and then the aftermath of it. I'm kind of all in after reading a little bit about this backstory because. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of the same beats as something like a Game of Thrones, right? The the War of the Five Kings. Um, yeah, I, I get a very similar vibe. I, I see where you could introduce a lot of intrigue, a lot of like, you know, the stuff with the uh, little finger and and just all the mm-hmm. scheming behind the scenes, the political stuff. I I I really get like a vision in my head of what this could be when I think about the events that are going to happen. Uh, and what people's motivations might be. Yeah, and then the other thing is like uh, you'll find it much. You'll you'll, you'll feel very familiar. Yes, uh, because the political system is very similar to the time of Game of Thrones. It's only a couple hundred years before. Uh, you still got King's Landing. You still got the Hand of the King. You still got the uh, Master of Whispers. There's still a Stark sitting in Winterfell. Um, Kingsguard there, sort a, of thing. You got Kingsguard. You've got the Gold Cloaks. You've got a lot of the institutions. Dragonstone, where the uh, ancestral seat of the Targaryens and where yeah. the heir to the throne traditionally sits uh, with their dragons. That's all in play. So there's got to be a lot of uh, locations and and offices that feel familiar, you know, like, uh, mm-hmm. but, you know, if you did a house of cards, right, that's that's uh, Kevin Spacey, modern day scheming. You could do a house of cards, you know, 1860 and you still have whips, <laughs> house whips, sure. you still have speakers and you'd still have the vice president president. It'd, it'd feel f- surprisingly familiar to, to modern audiences. So I, I think we're going to get a lot of that crossover. Um, should we talk about just, you know, we, we got some official material and we've uh, curbed some notes from that. Um, the big picture, what this is about, according to HBO, is this is going to be based on that volume one of Fire and Blood. Volume two still has not been published yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's going to tell the story of House Targaryen. Uh, the house that gave us Danny, Daenerys Targaryen, uh, the mother of dragons. It's going to take place. The press notes consistently say 300 years before the events of Game of Thrones. Now, yeah. there's two possibilities because that's just wrong. Like from a historical <laughs> Game of Thrones sure. nerd standpoint, no, that's not how it happens. With these particular 300 years before, yeah. 300 years before Game of Thrones is when Aegon the Conqueror conquered Westeros with his enormous dragons and his two badass sisters and and the seven kingdoms became united under one central rule in King's Landing. Yeah. That's what happened 300 years and that is not the story that we're getting. Uh the story that we're getting takes place um you know Aegon's conquering was so pivotal that they renamed this was kind of like Jesus mm-hmm. Christ being born. You had BC before the conquering and AC after the conquering. So Aegon was 
coronated uh, and 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 named king at the year zero of uh, Aegon's conquering or year one or whatever. This takes place uh, between 103 and 129 AC. So it's about 200 years before Game of Thrones. I do not know whether this is an is is just a mistake and left over some maybe some some notes of a previous uh, adaptation or whether they're hinting that they are going to take a lot more liberties with the property than than we know of. Oh, um, or the third option maybe is they're going to do some kind of prelude um with with yeah. Aeon's conquest stuff stuff a, a little bit maybe, but I can't see that lasting more than like an introductory portion of again, episode 1, right? Totally agree. Although I mean, we'll talk about this as we go on because some of the casting news and stuff like, you know, might not make sense or like how pivotal a character, depending on where. But like, you know, maybe there's a whole season of build up to where you get to know these characters and there's some flashbacks and stuff before yeah. like the thing that, inc- that actually incites this stuff um, mm-hmm. actually happens. Do, do we want to get in? And I, I, I've got like a little bit of material, a, like a deep dive into the background of the story. It doesn't get into the story itself. Um, and you know, just like any history report, there's some going to be some light spoilers. If you want to be completely unspoiled for house of dragons, you honestly shouldn't listen to any of the podcasts or, or look at anything <laughs> on Twitter or Reddit or any of that kind of stuff. Because again, yeah, there's a lot of material, hundreds and hundreds of pages have already been writ about these events and these characters. And but, as we um, get closer to 2022, if you really want to stay spoiler free, you're going to have to do like Martin, you're going to have to hole up in a cabin. You're not going to yeah. be able to be on the internet. This is going to be this is going to be Star Wars and Marvel big, even with a minor disappointment um, uh, or major disappointment of how Game of Thrones ended. This is still going to be huge, huge, huge entertainment news. Uh, So the backstory to um, House of the Dragon, uh, we've got King Viserys the first, who is the fifth Targaryen king after Aegon to sit on the Iron Throne. He ruled, as I mentioned, between 100, uh, 103 the 129 AC he succeeded his grandfather was called the old king Jaharis because he just lived forever and is very wise benevolent king uh Viserys continued the prosperous peace and legacy of his grandsire um and in, in fact left the kingdom more well off and prosperous than ever the coffers like you know Robert's rebellion was a big time of upheaval and Robert was kind of not paying attention and the kingdom's kind of being laid like like robbed blind and there wasn't a lot saved up for winter this is not that situation this is a kingdom that's well founded that just is going to fall fall to shit um he's also notable for being the last rider of balerion the black dread this is the massive black battle dragon that Aegon himself rode into battle and Mm -hmm. finally succumbed to old age um, and in the king's old age, a dragon died. He never took another dragon as as a dragon rider. Uh, he had three children by his first queen, uh, Ama Arryn, uh, but only one of them survived to adulthood. His uh, his daughter, Princess Rhaenyra. So he didn't have a son to succeed him, uh, and because of that, even though there was several precedents set in the years before that. You know, women get skipped over the uh, the um, the hereditary throne passes through the male lineage. He decided, fuck all that. I got a daughter. I'm going to put all my interest into her. So he began to train her to be the heir. She was included in discussions about the matters of state, allowed to participate in the small council uh, meetings. And that was kind of controversial. But a lot of nobles took note 
And she started getting some bands of adherents and admirers because she's a formidable yeah, line right? behind the next queen. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And um, after his queen, uh, Emma, uh, passed in 105 AC, Viserys named Rhaenyra his heir and had hundreds of the lords and ladies of Westeros file through, bend the knee to her as the acknowledged heir to his throne. Um, so by and then a year later, he remarried. And a lot of it is put because um, the hand of the king was uh, this Otto Hightower, which we're going to talk about. Uh, and he nominated his daughter to, to, keep, to, to, to make time with the aging king. A lot of people said that, like, he kind of overstepped his bounds. He was like maybe following his own interest. But that's what happened. And they had four more children, three of them males. Strong, strapping, dragon riding Targaryen males. And you can probably already see the seeds of a problem here. <laughs> Rivalry soon developed between the princess and the queen. In fact, in 11, uh, uh, 111 AC, there's this big tourney that they often hold in, in King's Landing uh, for the fifth anniversary of Viserys' marriage to this Alicent Hightower. Um, and during the opening feast, the queen wore this brilliant green gown while the princess Rhaenyra wore the uh, a, a, a gown of black and red, the traditional Targaryen uh, colors. And then... From that point forward, people started being called themselves as the greens or the blacks based on whether you favored the 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 old king and his queen or whether you favored the the princess um, who, who's you were uh, uh, allied to. Uh, at this time, the king, he'd grown old and kind of complacent. He did not see any of this danger of his court splitting in two. He did not bother to redo any of the um, a succession planning. Um, and the king died in his sleep uh, a little bit later. The queen, again, the Hightower queen, Alicent Hightower, instead of, like, you're supposed to, like, ring the bells, start the succession, and king's landing to, to the new queen. Instead, she sealed the king's body in his chambers, threw all the servants who knew about the death into the black cells, called an emergency uh, small council meeting, with the her father, the hand expressly saying, how are we going to solve this, this matter of succession? And all the other lords are like, well, it's settled. <laughs> it's Princess Rhaenyra. What the hell's going on? Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, in the wee hours of the morning, some of the council members started murmuring that this is treason. The master of coin stood up and said he wasn't going to be a part of this anymore. And the commander of the king's guard stabbed him, killed him, who um, was known to have a personal grudge against Princess Rhaenyra. Um, and at this point, once, you know, blood was spilt, there started to be a, qu a, a swift consensus to build around uh, naming Viserys' oldest son, Aegon. Strong name, Aegon II. Sounds sure. good, got a nice ring to it. Uh, naming him to the throne. Uh, Aegon didn't want the throne. He thought this was a bunch of bullshit and thought this was double dealing with his stepsister or I guess his half-sister, um, but his mother and the hand of the king convinced him, and this has actually probably got some truth to it, that like as the king's legitimate firstborn male heir, you are always going to be a political rival to your sister because anytime she steps wrong, the lords are going to be like, hey, you know what, we got the male heir here, and you could build a rebellion against it. So they convinced him that if he didn't take the kingship and renounce his sister, that she would just kill him anyway. So he reluctantly took the heir, the, the, the king kingship, the crown. Um, and then his half, his, his brother, Eamon, uh, then flew off on his large battle dragon to bring 
you know, like this this dragon diplomacy flying around the seven kingdoms like, hey, we're changing up the succession. Make sure everybody's cool with it. The princess for her uh, part was over on Dragonstone, the ancestral seat of the Targaryens, where the heir apparent traditionally dwelled while the king was ruling in King's Landing. Uh, learned of her father's death and of her step parents uh, and half brothers treason, called her own black council um, that included Damon, which was her uh, uh, uncle and one of the, the realm's most dangerous men. We're going to talk about him pretty soon. Uh, Cor- uh, Corlys Valerian, the sea snake, the greatest mariner of his generation who commanded the largest fleet. But that's pretty much all of her political power. You know, she had that and her, her teenage sons. But what she did have is a shit ton of dragons. She and her court had six large battle-ready dragons, six trained and experienced dragon riders, with Dragonstone itself having half a dozen more large dragons, some of them feral, just chilling out in the caves and the cliffs. Um, but they had, like, you know, dragons in, in the garage ready to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. King Aegon only had four dragons. Um, so... Why it's good to have air power and air superiority, you also need men and armies to hold that territory. So Princess Rhaenyra's goal is to also start some dragon diplomacy, send her teenage sons to go around to like especially the Arons and the Baratheons and Stormlands to try to get them to pledge fealty and support while King Damon and his his uh, the Queen Mother was trying to um, uh, uh, solidify their power. Um, uh, under the green, the green party, uh, and cut off his his half sister before she could establish her rule. This resulted in a civil war that raged through the realm for three years. Became later known as the Dance of Dragons. It will end in large swaths of the Seven Kingdoms being burnt to the ground. It will nearly ruin the House Targaryen. Many dragons and dragon riders will die during this war. A House Targaryen will see its stable of dragons dwindle to just a handful of surviving beasts. I saw some source that said two, some that said four, but they were counting like a wild dragon that killed anyone to try to sit on them and some other things. And they had just like maybe a half dozen surviving Targaryens too. Um, the dragons never recovered. Like this is the time where the dragon yeah. eggs stopped hatching. They started hatching stunted and deformed, dying very young. Uh, the Targaryens never recovered from this. And, you know, uh, a, a couple of generations later, the Black, the Blackfire Rebellion will all but finish them off. And then they will be easy pluckings for Robert's Rebellion just a few generations after that. So uh, just 300 years after Aegon, for the first time, conquered ever all seven kingdoms for the Targaryens. They're going to they're going to lose it all. And this is where it all begins. So um, I think, like we said, it's it's a it's a great setting for the storytelling because you're going to recognize almost all the houses and all the big players, the Starks, the Aarons, the Lannisters. Um, and unlike the Song of Ice and Fire series, um, where we had novelizations and people's POV chapters and their innermost thoughts, this is all just kind of like a historical framework. Um and we know the big beats of the war, but we don't know all that like really interesting, all the intrigue stuff, all the personal relationships aren't as well sketched. Um, so there's going to be lots of room to speculate and uh, theorize about what's going to come. Some room for surprising twists and intrigue and high drama and also some stuff that might um, inform our understanding of the later series, too. So, again, if you want to hear more, me and Anthony did a three part deep dive into fire and blood and the, the second and third installments are essentially all about the, the dance of dragons. So 
I want to do that a, is the background. A little bit of uh, speculation and then, uh, you know, diving into some of that stuff a bit here real quick. Because um, reading through this um, and listening to you talk about it, a few things come to mind where, mm-hmm. you know, I, I see the marks of all the things about House Targaryen um, that they had talked about in the show uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, things from like you know the Targaryens are known as sort of like an incestuous bunch mm-hmm. seems like there's going to be some of that because uh, Damon is actually not just Rhaenyra's uncle she's he's also her husband is that right I so she gets married I think three different times and I think yes he is her second husband second okay. husband so there's definitely gonna be some of that. Um, and King A- King Aegon II immediately married his his sister upon taking the the Iron Throne. So yeah, there tons. You you're not, yeah, <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why this is such a hallmark of Game of Thrones and George Martin. But yes, we have a lot of incest boxes. I, I mean, yeah, the, whatever amount of incest you were icked out by in Game of Thrones, double it. And then probably yeah. double it again for this. Who knows? Um, and, and this is just feudal societies, too. This is right, the pharaohs right. did it. The kings of Europe did it. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Cousin, sister, uncle fucking rife. Yeah. Happens all the time. Uh, the other thing I'm interested in is like this war seems like a very short time period. This civil war you're talking about that raged for, quote unquote, three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I look at Game of Thrones, I see the time spans being much larger than that. And if this show is only going to span the Civil War, I mean, maybe they can, you know, dilate the time a little bit and and dig Mm -hmm. in deeper to those moments and not have, you know, months pass while people are traveling on a road. That's that's hard to do, though, because, uh, well, I guess with dragons, it's a little bit easier. (laughs) Right. Break out the jetpacks. Yeah, they've got them in storage. We know it. Um, I'm curious to see how they're going to handle the timing of everything. I think you're you've you've got some some hints here because you've got twenty plus dragons, the jumbo jets, mm-hmm. and a, a military attack aircraft at their time, where these characters can literally just fly around the Seven Kingdoms pretty quick. And the Sea Snake character, uh, known for his swift sailing, that's a that's another way that they were kind of able to blur timelines late in the series when they yeah, started getting like Euron, you know, the Euron Greyjoy and his fleet doing this. Like he's on this side of Westeros, he's on that side of Westeros, he's right. across the narrow sea. <laughs> you can kind of fudge with air and sea power, and it looks like they've got all that stuff built in even more than you know you had in the, the original series. And I'm also wondering what the state of dragon. Uh defense would be because you've got a scenario Mm. in which the Targaryens rule the land kind of united, right? What would the need be for cities with dragon defense, right? They're not going to have these ballistas necessarily. Well, they even, it's a lot of dragon to dragon fighting, right? Right, 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 right. And there's a lot of just thrilling, like dragon, the dragon aerial combat and stuff. That's, that's, that's going to be pretty glorious to the to the watch i mean it is kind of silly that like because they made it a big deal like ballistas like it's an unknown technology it's a big uh-huh. dragon spear <laughs> um but i don't know i mean I, it would make i don't know like it also would make sense if Aegon just banned <laughs> the research into any kind of anti-air defense because why would he want his family's only form of superiority to be right. weakened so like maybe there's 300 years of just enforced ignorance about this kind of thing and the other thing from that time period um yeah. Maybe you can clue me in a little bit on this. So I know that the Dornish are the only kingdom that resisted. Uh, was it Aegon when he came over and conquered Westeros? 
Yeah, their house words are unbent, unbroken, unbowed. They, they're yeah. the, one, the one house that didn't bend the knee. Yeah. So they would have a lot of that tech, I imagine. They have to fight off a lot of dragons. So yeah, I'm curious what role Dorne might play in any of this stuff that's going to be happening. That'd be interesting because I don't think they've been brought to the fold at this point. They're still like the kingdom in rebellion. Right, right. Oh, um, we'll see. But I could be wrong. Maybe Jaharis did make make peace there. But um, uh, we've got so there's. Uh, we want to talk about the the production of this. Um, talk about the showrunners, the writers, reasons for us to be excited. You know, because as far as I know, the double D's are not involved in this project. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I will say that like whoever's adapting this material is going to ease has an easier job because you don't got just bullet points. You got a whole fucking encyclopedia mm-hmm. and part one of a history tome to go off of. So like there shouldn't be any kind of horseshit about like the ending being flubbed or whatever. The only thing you can do is make it cooler by adding more layers to the sympathies and the alliances and the backgrounds. It should just like the action itself is pretty fucking cool. Mm-hmm. If there's, if there's actual characters that we care about and feel for um, and don't want to see hurt and, then then it's just going to get better. So up front, George Martin is co- uh, credited as co-creator. Um, he says House of Dragon has been in development for several years. Uh, it's actually the first concept I pitched to HBO when we started talking about a successor show way back in the summer of 2016. Do you, I don't know if I believe that because I don't know that George always shoots straight with what he says to the fans. Sure. Um, and it's hard to believe that like this is the fourth iteration of the prequel if it's the first thing that he suggested because it's I think one of the things I talked about like I'm like oh you could do the Blackfire Rebellion you could mm-hmm. certainly do the Dance of Dragons and then I heard oh prequel series set 3000 years in Game of Thrones prehistory and I'm like yeah. okay well that that's wild or Dunkin' Egg like okay that's that's a that's an odd part that'd be like doing a a, the a last airbender follow-up and it's uh like uh i don't know ang before he be you know when he was a little kid you know just just going around having adventures and stuff i'm like i (laughs) all right but like this this is a very fleshed out even before fire and blood and all this stuff like this is a fairly legendary there was already a couple short stories i think the princess and the queen um where martin had done laid a lot of groundwork on on this and it's also you know was was mentioned in passing in the show and in the books like you know they talk about this like it's world war one mm-hmm. because it kind of is Blackfire rebellions world war two uh and and this and then i don't know what the fuck robert's rebellions world war three but yeah um, uh, one of the other people involved in this is the showrunner um who's going to be you know, one of the biggest creative forces aside from martin um and that's going to be ryan condal who is actually the showrunner on Colony, um, it's it's kind of a small sci-fi show. I think it was on, eh, I don't remember the network, but it was it was run by Carlton Cuse. He was the the co, mm-hmm. uh, he he was one of the co creatives on that. Um, who you probably know from Lost, but this guy, I I actually watched a little bit of Colony, and I thought it was pretty good. Um, the ratings it gets on. You know, Metacritic or Rotten Tomatoes are not bad as well. Uh, I think it's like 84% mm-hmm. over on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it, yeah, I, I, I'm interested to see what he can do because that's a sci-fi show. And so this is mm-hmm. a, a different arena. But he's also done, well, <laughs> maybe not as to as much success, but he did a Hercules. 
the movie yeah, with the, the, rock. the rock version mm-hmm. yeah i don't know about that he was a writer and co-creator on that or a writer on that but he's going to be co-creator and showrunner on this show yeah um you know stephen king praised the colony a lot I, I haven't seen any of it but he said that it was something special smart suspenseful suspenseful subversive thought-provoking yeah. Um, and Hercules, it's not great, but like, it's also good to get those experiences, you know, like, uh, um, is the, 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 the building your creative muscles, you know, writing, writing for a large project. Um, also Condola worked on a canceled fantasy Western. Uh, the filming is where of that is where he met George Martin for the first time. Hmm. Um, he's been a fan of a song of fire ever since a storm of swords was published. So he didn't get in at the very beginning, but he got in like on the second, the second book. I don't think you have to get in at the very beginning to have credit. Yeah. 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 You, you, you can read so. the books yeah. after they're published and still be a fan. <laughs> yeah. If you read the books like before the series came out, period, which was around feast. Yeah. It was between feast and dance is when the series came out. You were still an early adopter of it. Uh, and I guess uh, uh, Martin said that Condola tried to pitch him an adaptation about the the Dunkin' Egg series, but Martin held off and said, eh, it's not quite not quite ready for television. I haven't finished writing gotcha. it. <laughs> yeah, no, so, I, we'll talk about that. Yeah. But yeah, um, but uh, he he's so Condola's the guy that wrote the pilot script of the series. That we're eventually going to enjoy here and also the series Bible. We've heard about that sometimes. Okay, like, I'm glad the series. The series Bible, uh, a lot of times, is what sets the, the tone of the show. Yeah. Like, you know, what is the feel? What is the look? It's a style guide. Uh, exactly. Exactly. The, so all the other writers and everybody else can kind of like, this is the blueprint for how should things look? How should things feel? How should things sound? Um, and I mm-hmm. like it when series have that stuff because it, it suggests there's going to be a lot of continuity and there's going to be a lot of world building and lore that feels real and it's got a history and internal cohesion to it. Yeah. Uh, another uh, executive producer, you'll recognize this name, Miguel Sapochnik, who became famous for directing all of the best action on Game of Thrones. <laughs> he won an Emmy. Uh, he directed six episodes of Game of Thrones, including the Emmy award winning Battle of the Bastards. Uh, he also directed The Long Night uh, and got another Emmy for that or uh, nominated um, and also won uh, Emmy for Best Drama Series as the executive producer of Game of Thrones in the final season. So he's fantastic. He's a known quality quantity as well. Um, <laughs> big Game of Thrones roots. I'm excited to see him, you know, oh, kind yeah. of co-helming the series. Uh, let's talk about the writer's room. Any any interesting candidates there? Um, not a lot of people that I'm super familiar with, but uh, George Martin's former writing assistant. I, I don't know how to pronounce it. T- Ty or T. Mickle mm-hmm. um, is going to be in there in the writer's room. Also, you know, Ryan's bringing over one of his guys, too, from the Colony uh, show. Wes Tuke also in the writer's room. Uh, there's Charmaine DeGrate from The 100, which I have not seen. Mm-hmm, yeah. And then there's also a historical fiction and fantasy novelist, David Anthony Durham, may be coming aboard. We're not sure. It's unconfirmed right now, mm-hmm. uh, but that's that's rumored. And he'd be great for like getting the the look and feel of this fuel society, you know, getting it, yeah. getting it nailed down. Um, it's it was I will say that, like, I was looking when I was doing the research for like names to get excited by like, oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Oh, that's going to be. 
these are a lot of unproven quantities. But, you know, when we started with Game of Thrones, that was a lot of the case, too. A lot of like, you know, if you heard Kit mm-hmm. Harrington, it's going to be John Stark. It'd be who, you know, uh, a lot. Of, you know, you had your Sean Beans, of course. You had some people that were like big right. names. But a lot of the people in Game of Thrones were essentially unknowns. Um, or had been known for very niche stuff that they'd done in like Irish and British film. So like, it's not necessarily that the case that you, you know, it'd be, it'd be great if you had big name writers and showrunners. Um, but these people do have Hollywood experience with some big, big budget projects. So it's not like well, for the double D's, for instance, they literally had no <laughs> yeah. show running experience, whatever, before they get thrown into the meat grinder. So hopefully we won't have, we won't waste $50 million on a failed pilot, et cetera, et cetera. Um, rounding out the ex- the executive producer role, uh, Vince uh, Girardi, uh, who executive produced all of Game of Thrones as well as the movie Jumper, which oh. I actually got a soft spot for. Yeah, I kind of like that movie. I like Anakin Skywalker having a, a another decent sci-fi movie up his sleeve. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah Lee Hess uh, was also the writer produ- uh, producer on House and Orange is the New Black, two projects that I respect a lot. Yep. And Ron Schmidt, who, as far as I can tell, is a total unknown, like I, his filmography uh, thing of Game of Thrones uh, on, on IMDb is essentially House of Dragon, I think. Even is, his is name, that, that's the even bull. his name, yeah. Ron Schmidt, just sounds like a dude, right? <laughs> he could be three kids in a in a in an overcoat. <laughs> uh, you just never know. You never yeah. know. Ron Adult Man is his name. Uh, there's a couple of a stable of directors for the first season has been tapped, uh, including Claire Kilner, uh, who's directed episodes of The Alienist, Angel of Darkness, uh, The Wedding Date, which is a 2005 rom-com with Deborah Winger and uh, Dermot Mulroney. Uh, Gita V. Patel, which is set. I've not seen do anything, but they are tapped to do the first two uh, episodes of season two of The Witcher, which I really like the first oh, okay. season yeah. and has a lot of that same kind of Game of Thrones feel good vibes and uh, and and kind of like look and feel to it. So I think that's going to be a very natural fit. Uh, and then uh, Greg Yatanez. I this, this is tough with these na- names. Yeah. Uh, who directed multiple episodes of Banshee and House uh, is also coming on as a, both a, a, a director and a co-executive producer. I love Banshee. Banshee is a really amazing action series that was on Cinemax um, about the this uh, sheriff who is actually um uh, like a, a what do what they call that? A cat burglar, a, a high class, world class, uh, yeah, thief, thief? con man, yeah. um, who took over sheriff duties from a small town that's like ran by the uh, Amish mafia, essentially, mm-hmm. and just uh, and had a small Indian reservation on it too that factored. Just just a really fun series um, that this guy knows how to direct action. And the other thing about Banshee is it, it was better than it had a right to be like this was just an action show, but it had a lot of like pathos and and uh, good character moments with it, too. So uh, and then last but not least. Ramin uh, Jawadi. Oh, yeah. You can't do a Game of Thrones based series without him doing the, the compositions. I wonder if he's going to. Are they just going to play? Are they just going to run Game of Thrones, the main theme back? Or will there be a slight? Will nah. it be kind of like, um, 
you know, will it be a slightly reworking of it? Uh, will it be inspired by it all or be a completely new score? Because, you know, I, if, if I had done guess, a lot of different stuff, Westworld is nothing yeah, like sure. his work on Game of Thrones. Yeah. No, if I had to guess, it's going to have a darker tone to it. I, I feel like the fire and blood, right? That that feeling yeah. is going to is going to leak into most parts of this. And. Yeah, I, I expect good things, though, whatever he comes up with. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So that's behind the cameras. Uh, mm-hmm. What do we know about the people in front of the cameras? We talked about the backstory. Uh, we highlighted certain characters. Uh, who's in the cast? So we do know a few of the main uh, roles that have been cast already. Um, I think four or five people have been slated for like the big characters like Rhaenyris and Viserys. Um, I don't know how to say this guy's last name. Patty Considine, um, mm. you probably know him from like Hot Fuzz or The Third Day. Is the tw- one of the those twins? Recent- he was the twins in Hot Fuzz, wasn't he? I think so. I man, it's been a while since I've seen that, but yeah, I remember liking him in that. Um, he's been cast as King Viserys Targaryen, and um, you know, we kind of went over. He's he's sort of the the king at the time of the start of this whole thing, right? Um, he's Rhaenerys's father. Uh, he's the, the decent guy that you were talking about who kept the, the land prosperous and everything. Um, we'll see how that all goes. <laughs> yeah. It's the, interesting the official, because he's like wording okay. that they give in, mm-hmm. in the HBO documentation is just that Viserys was chosen by the Lords of Westeros to succeed the old King Jaehaerys Targaryen. Uh, at the Great Council of Harrenhal, a warm, kind, and decent man, Viserys only wishes to carry forward his grandfather's legacy, but as we've learned from Game of Thrones, good men do not necessarily make for great kings. Right. We talked about the fact that this guy, you know, was fairly popular, fairly well-liked, fairly successful and prosperous, but he kind of left his hand off the switch at the end uh, and left the country wealthy and well-provided, but inherently unstable um it's also interesting so i want to talk about like some some background details because there's a bunch of stuff on him we talked about him being the fifth uh, targaryen king um he was a dragon rider had balerion the black dread if this happens late in in his life then balerion's probably dead so he won't be a dragon rider um he was a peaceful man who hated conflict uh and became plump and pleasant He's described as amiable, open-handed, eager to please. He was never considered strong-willed, but he also wasn't considered pliable or indecisive, easy to manipulate. When he made a choice, he was unwavering and firmly stood by his decision. His generosity was legendary, and the Red Keep became a, a, a palace of song and splendor during his reign. He hosted countless balls, feasts, and other tournaments, and lavished gold and offices and honors amongst those he favored and as a result was well-loved by the lords and small folk alike. Probably one of the things that contributed to the Dance of Dragons, because 
him, even though it was not according to Hoyle, putting his daughter next in line for the throne and, and, and having all the lords and ladies, you know, do obeisance to her. They're like, well, we like this guy. We're loyal to him. He's lined her pockets with gold. Let's just go with it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the curious thing I have is like, imagine reading like casting information and not knowing anything about uh, Game of Thrones and you get to like Mark Eddy as Robert Baratheon. You're like, oh, he's going to be a big central figure. Yeah. And yeah. he dies in episode four. Like, unless they're going to spend the whole season like mm-hmm. and that might be cool because they did cast this guy. He's solidly. Middle, middle year, like late middle years. He could play a guy who's 35. He could play a guy who's 75. Yeah, a little hair I wonder, color either way. Yeah, I wonder if they'll show like moments of him and his daughter when they're like, like will the first season be like us watching Princess Rhaenerys and um, all, all like, like become a, you know, will we see like this whole family thing dr- uh, play out over a season or will there be flashbacks? You know, like like it will open up like John Aaron's death exactly. did in, in Game of Thrones and he's just lying there dead and yeah. we just get flashbacks of the great man he once was and the impact he had on his daughter and his his wives in the realm. Because yeah, this guy's his death is what kicks off the whole story. <laughs> right. And I feel like there's a huge temptation to go the John Aaron route, which doesn't feel right for this because the players are so connected to him. Like John John Aaron in Game of Thrones is like a an outside force for all the major players of of the Game of Thrones show, right? Whereas in this, he's so personally connected to the major players. You need to feel that death a lot more than you need to mm-hmm. feel John Aaron's death, right? Yeah, John Aaron's death is just a mystery to solve. Exactly. You know? Like like this why feels more right. intimate, more personal. You kind of need a prelude um, to lead up to that. So I, I expect that they won't just jump right in and show, you know. Obviously, there wouldn't be stones on the eyes and all that. Stones on his eyes, yeah. Yeah, I I don't think they're going to do that. But I also wonder if they'll do, because play this unreliable narrator, hit the victor rights to history kind of thing, and just, like, suggest that he was maybe poisoned. Like, how much intrigue will they inject into the series to make it? Because, you know, a lot of the stuff feels very dry. He died of old age. The queen took advantage. But what if the queen had a legitimate other than just, like, well, I'm not tired my sons are true born heirs and I'm tired of seeing him passed over because of this, you know, blah, blah, blah. What if there's a suggestion that maybe, you know, Rhaenerys was getting, uh, uh, Rhaenerys was getting nervous about these older, you know, her, her younger brothers are getting old and becoming, you know, men full grown. And she wanted to put it like, you know, and this she feels like there's sure some trees. Yeah. The throne first. Yeah. There is like, you know who, and that's the other thing. Like, I wonder who's going to be the good guys and the bad guys between the blacks and the greens. Because, I mean, it would be easy for me to say the good guys are the ones who support Rhaenerys because she was appointed by the, the sitting the rightful king, heir. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And is, I think, the rightful heir. But that's easy for me to say, you know? <laughs> right, right. Uh, okay, who's next? Uh, the next casting note we have is for who's going to play a... a Alicent or Allison Hightower. Um, I think it's Allison. Yeah, Allison. Uh, it's Olivia Cook from. You might recognize her from Ready Player One. She played Artemis, which is kind of the the you know main co star there. Mm-hmm. Um, but she uh, was mostly CG. So you blink if you missed her. <laughs> she was. Yeah, there, there were moments toward the end where she revealed herself. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Uh, so HBO just 
describes Alison, Alison Hightower, rather, sorry, as the daughter of Otto Hightower, the Hand of the King, and the most comely mm-hmm. woman in the Seven Kingdoms. I'll admit here, I've never really know what, known what comely means. Yeah. And just like plain. It's fuddy-duddy. It's, no, comely means like very beautiful, I think. But it's kind of like, oh, really? I've always felt the same way. It's like calling a woman handsome. Like, what the fuck does that mean? Oh. Like. It's very old fuddy-duddy type of word, I, I feel like. But it is. I would never beautiful. use that word in, yeah. in daily speech. Uh, she was raised in the Red Keep, close to the king in his innermost circle. She possesses both a courtly grace and a keen political acumen. And that is what excites me about this thing. Like, especially yeah, since make her a little finger, you know? Yeah, they, they say that, uh, you know, her father's Otto Hightower, the hand of the king. He was actually a hand for three different kings over his life. So he's like oh, the, the okay. like like this super chief of staff who knows all the ins and outs, all the connections like they really describe him as like this power. Obviously, he parlays his his uh, position into his daughter being the queen. Um, and yeah. a lot of people accused him of being like we mentioned being heavy handed. No pun intended about that. So when, when I look at both of the women in, in this, this series, um like I'm reminded like these are both like political, like both of their fathers raised them to be leaders and to have this political. Imagine like a, a Cersei. If uh, 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 Tywin actually gave a shit about teaching her all of his ways. Yeah. yeah. You know, like both of these women are formidable and have a huge military and political followings and are going to, to, to manage these dynasties. And I think that's 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 really cool. Um, some background about her is like uh, everything I've read said that she actually was fond and got along well with her stepdaughter until she started bearing sons and the thought of them being passed over started to really stick in her craw Um, so like are they going to rewind and show us some of that you know Um, we'll see Uh, who's next Uh, the next person who I'm uh, kind of familiar with is Emma Darcy. I don't know if that's exactly how you say it, but she's going to play uh, Rhaenyra Targaryen, which, you know, is according to HBO, the king's firstborn child. P- she is pure uh, Valerian blood and she is a dragon rider. It's exciting. Many would say that Rhaenyra was born with everything, but she was not born a man, which they're obviously setting up the central conflict of everything mm-hmm. to go on here. Uh, I saw her in Truth Seekers. Which is an Amazon see, Prime see that, yeah. show with Nick Frost and uh, Simon Pegg, uh, like supernatural ghost hunter type of thing, and I really liked it. I thought she was good oh, in it, but she's not Coronetto, like another Coronetto connection. Uh, uh yeah, Hot fuzz, not, uh, there's a, there's a six uh, degrees of separation. Edgar there. Wright part of that? I part of Truth Seekers, maybe not, but I'm sure he's talked to them about it. But yeah, I'm. I'm Interested to see what she can do in a role that requires maybe a little bit more of her, because it's the only thing I've seen her in. Uh, the so Fire and Blood paints uh, Queen Rhaenyra as proud, stubborn, petulant. Uh, notes that she could be charming, but she's also quick to anger. Uh, was never one to forget slights. Um, she was a fancy dresser, dressed in rich uh, purple maroon velvets with golden mirish lace. Uh, with intricate patterns. There's also a, a neat detail that she liked to wear many uh, gold and silver rings. And when she was anxious, she would turn them compulsively around her fingers. I wonder 
it seems like there's a lot of kind of character quirks for an actor to dig in or sink their teeth into. Yeah. You know, because it this just paints a person as like she, she seems kind of like brittle and p- like paranoid and suspicious um, with some of this with some of this stuff. And maybe for good reason, because she is never supposed to be the heir. Her father makes her the heir and then she feels the footsteps of her brothers, you know, like growing up. Like maybe maybe she's got good reason to be uh, suspicious and paranoid of being oh, yeah. replaced in this fucking feudal system that's all about games of thrones and, and such uh the next name people will probably recognize who's who's up next to him people probably will but i definitely didn't uh matt smith is mm-hmm. a guy who has been in the crown he's been a doctor in doctor who mm-hmm. uh, he's gonna be playing prince damon targaryen uh hbo describes him as the younger brother of king viserys and heir to the throne damon is a peerless warrior and a dragon rider who possesses the true blood of the dragon but it is said that whenever a Targaryen is born, the gods toss a coin in the air. Mm-hmm. Dot, dot, dot. Uh, his, his background is, as I, they mentioned, he's the most experienced warrior of his time. He wields, uh, he wields the Valerian steel blade Dark Sister, which is the sword that uh, Aegon the, the Conqueror's sisters uh, wore in the battle. Uh, he was in participating in a lot of foreign wars in Essos, uh, too. Um, he's the Jamie Lannister uh, of this series. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the, we just had two kings of unprecedented peace in Westeros, so not a lot of battles going on there. So if you yeah, want to win yeah. glory, you got to go over to continent next and kick some ass on in Essos, which <laughs> sure. is a double edge. So it gives him lots of combat experience in a time where a lot of the military generals have theoretical experience. But, but if you want to go raise gold for an army against this guy you got tons of rich people who are you know got smarting backsides of all the asses he's kicked over there in west uh, in, in essos uh that can throw their 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 um you know treasure and their their cell swords into the battle um he rides uh, a dragon uh uh Car- caraxis which is described as red huge and lean in battle he was formidable fearsome and experienced Damon is described in the histories as being dashing, daring, and dangerous. He's also ambitious, impetuous, mercurial, amoral, reckless, and quick to take offense. Really pairs well with his uh, niece here. Um, He's also described as being charming and hot-tempered. Again, him and uh, uh, Rhaenyra seem very well paired here. Um... So, yeah, he's he's got lots of combat experience, but uh, he's also got a long list of enemies from that uh, combat experience that might make him a liability for his his side. Uh, who do we got next? So, oh, by, by the way, I guess we should start like um, uh, Allison Hightower is the green when you hear this is like the blacks mm-hmm. and the greens. That's the side. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Rhaenyra and uh, Prince Damon are on the team black. The, the the quote unquote rightful heirs, I guess. So yeah. uh, I'll try to call those distinctions out uh, as we go on. Um, so next up is Steve Toussaint, which I'm not familiar with. He has been in like an episode of Doctor Who. He's been in uh, something called It's a Sin, which is a TV mating series. Uh, yeah, I just I haven't seen a lot of stuff that he's in. He was in, a, I think, a, a Prince of Persia movie with Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm-hmm. It, it's not a good movie. I definitely recognize movie. his face. He's been in a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure I've seen him around, but uh, he hasn't been like the lead in anything I've watched. So a lot, a lot uh, of Brit British stuff. 
he's going to be playing Lord Corliss Valerian, uh, aka the Sea Snake. And HBO describes him as the Lord of House Valerian, a Valerian bloodline as old as the House Targaryen. The Sea Snake is the most famed nautical adventurer in the history of Westeros. He's built his house into a powerful seat that is even richer than the Lannisters and that claims the largest navy in the world. Yeah, this guy was one of my favorite characters out of Fire and Blood. He's got like the swagger of a Han Solo with the ability to sail. Like he's he's sailed the furthest west of anybody. He's seen more of the world than anybody. Um, like before he was even like 30, he had gained all this fame uh, and he just gets keeps getting cooler. Um, he's described as a brilliant, as brilliant as he is, restless, adventurous as he is, ambitious, uh, though accomplishing much and more in his life. As Martin puts it, he was seldom satisfied. Um, he's remembered as wise in peace and valiant in war as a really great character. Um, although Queen Alicent, uh, Alicent Hightower thought him arrogant, which, you know, he's on Team Black. So he's a, he's against, uh, uh, you'll remember that, uh, he was one of the few allies that the Princess Rhaenyra has at the beginning of the, the Dance of Dragons. Um, it's really, so he's also, um, uh, from House Valerian, which is an old, uh, Valer, Valarian, which is an old Valerian house. Oh boy. You know, oh, the, the came from, it begins, right. the, the yeah, mix yeah, up yeah, of yeah, names. The names. Uh, so Valeria, you'll remember was this old Island continent that got exploded by dark magic and dragon bullshit. And, uh, is known as the doom of Valeria. And that's the Targaryens were in the last houses that escaped and came to Westeros and, and raised a ruckus. Um, they are actually an older Valerian house that settled in um, Westeros even before the Targaryens. And as such, they have this old kind of blood bond of allegiance to their fellow Valerians. Um, it's interesting because he's never physically described in the books and the, the research material, and they've cast a black man to play him. Yeah. Um, which I think is, is, is I think it's probably going to cause, a, uh, I don't know, people always get all worked up about this, this stupid shit. Um, but uh, his children are all described as classically Valerian, you know, silver hair, purple eyes. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see how they do that. But it's also you've got a lot of questionable, questionable genetic hereditary uh, in sure. Game of Thrones. The seed is strong. Like we've talked about how that doesn't really fucking make any sense, <laughs> uh-huh. you know. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I think this guy seems very cool and I want to see how well he does as a sea snake here. I'm, I'm not trying to make the comparison to like one of the very few other black actors in Game of Thrones, uh, the series, uh-huh. but he's he strikes me as like a Salador San type of guy. Like he's he's, you know, floating around the, the yeah. oceans. He's got this like adventurer streak. The swagger, the wisdom, the right. Yeah, I wonder, yeah. like, it'd be it'd be a fun detail if they somehow connected the lines that it turns out that Salador was some kind of like great, great, great grand bastard <laughs> of the sea snake, you know, yeah, like that's how yeah. he got all of his piratical uh, prowess. That'd be kind of cool. Uh, who else we got? Uh, the the next one up is Eve Best, who's known for probably Nurse Jackie. Um, and the King's Speech the most. She's going to be playing Princess Rhaenys Valerian, who is a dragon rider and wife to Lord Corlys Valerian. Uh, the queen who never was, is what they call her, I guess, was passed over as heir to the throne at the Great Council because the realm favored her cousin, Viserys, simply for being male. Yeah, we talked about all the precedents that this violated making the, the female heir the heir. 
Uh, yeah. And this is a big like she literally the the, the first generation before or the generation her generation she was skipped over. So you can imagine seeing like that sticking in in, in her craw, um, you know, uh, and being maybe very supportive of the first female queen. Um, they described uh, uh, Rainus as uh, being a great beauty, uh, clever, capable, spirited, proud, fierce and fearless, the fiery temperament. And she wore in a battle a steel and copper armor, which flashed in the sun. Uh, seems mm-hmm. to be pretty visually spectacular and another strong sword arm. And I believe drag. Yeah. Dragon Rider um, nice. uh, in, in the, the black. Because that's the thing that the blacks got over the greens. They got tons of dragons and experienced dragon riders. Mm-hmm. Um, so that should be fun, and also these names, man. Uh, Rainus, oh god, Rainier, Ra- you know, like I, I think I've already fucked up. Uh, um, Rainier, I call it Rainieris. Like, yeah, yeah sure, Rainus, Rainier, Rainieris. It's, 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 it's. There's a lot of this, yeah. Brand, damn Targaryens, goddamn Targaryens. Yeah, uh, well, it's not just that; it's goddamn Martins. <laughs> <laughs> All right, who's next? Uh, next up is. Oh boy, even even the actors are going to get on the name confusion. Reese Ifans, I Ifans, I don't know. He's from Notting Hill, the Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, he's going to be playing Otto Hightower, the Hand of the King, who loyally and faithful, faithfully serves both his king and his realm. As the Hand sees it, the greatest threat to the realm is the King's brother Damon and his position as heir to the throne. Yeah, uh, he's considered a man of great learning, um, very well educated, uh, but also that education's made him kind of haughty, uh, blunt and domineering. He's known as being very methodical. Again, he was the hand to three different kings. He was also dismissed from service by two of those kings. So he, he kind of had a, a habit of overreaching as hand and getting smacked down um and and trying again and again so he's a he's a very interesting complicated character and i'm 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 curious to see what the they end up doing with him here uh next up is one i'm excited about because yes. i've seen her in it's several things um including ex machina and devs she's also in crazy crazy rich asians sonoya mizuno um she's signed on as masaria and she came to westeros with nothing sold more times than she can recall and could have wilted, but instead she rose to become the most trusted and most unlikely ally of Prince Daemon Targaryen, the heir to the throne. Yeah, uh, her name's uh, Lady Miseria, also called Lady Misery. She was a dancer from Lys, like a pleasure girl, yeah. uh, that became the paramour of Prince, da- uh, Prince Daemon Targaryen, unofficial mistress of whisperers to Queen Rhaenyra Targaryen. So she's kind of like mm. uh, a Varys figure. To yeah. Say, um, and I, I'm t- she was the one of the leads on on uh, devs, and she was phenomenal. Yeah, and I, I, she, she kind of has this air of mystery and intrigue, and like there's a little, she, she's like she says lot, she says little but thinks much. Like I, I can really see her in this role. It's going to mm-hmm. be, I, I think she's going to do, and also she's one of the few people I've actually had real experience <laughs> with. Yeah. Uh, it's like her, her and the dude from hot fuzz are the ones that I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've seen him and stuff. So, mm-hmm. uh, I am, I'm excited to see her. And, but it, again, it doesn't really bother me that a lot of these people are not well known because that's oh, yeah. essentially the entire cast outside of like Sean Bean and Mark Eddy, um, from the original cast. Like there, it was in Charles, you know, yeah, a few big ones, Charles Dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like most of it was like unknown people. And mm-hmm. that's good because it allows you to start with a blank slate. You don't have a bunch of preconceived notions of their character and whatnot. 
Sure. How about uh, Fabian Frankel? Are you familiar? Oh, with him? this is the this this is the one that uh, Martin just slipped on as not a blog last week. Like this, we were literally writing the outline, and we got new surprise casting news. I I am not familiar with this guy. Okay, I'm not either. Uh, I don't think anybody really would be. He's pretty new uh, to acting, as far as I can tell. He's been in a couple of. It, well, he started to move into leading roles um, more and more, and it seems like this is going to just you know take his career through the roof um because mm-hmm. he's already headed that direction anyway but he's going to be playing sir Kristen cole and he's common born son of the steward of the lord of blackhaven he has no claims to lands or titles that that sounds pretty familiar all he has is mm-hmm. honor and his skill with sword and lance he's a challenger a champion cheered by the commons beloved of the ladies he is a lover or is he a seducer or is he a betrayer, or is he a break, a breaker of hearts, and a maker of kings? Yeah. So this is this is right. That's a quote right from George Martin's uh, blog, and you're like, oh, "This is a lot of double talk." But this is again, yeah. this is where a lot of the mystery of the fire and blood comes from because it's a it's an after the fact history where one maester is collecting all the history, and he's like, you know, a lot of times he'll say, "Maester and so and so holds that such and such happened," while maester. Uh, what's his face held the that this actually is the true uh, and then every once in a while he would cite this figure called mushroom who we're going to talk about here in a minute who was the court jester uh, for this period of the, the Targaryens and he almost always injected the most ribald sexual lustful thing that could possibly happen like that's where a nice. lot of like the really yeah he really really sexes things up um, and is, is very crude so there's like, you know, this this um, Sir Kristen Cole, who is the Lord Commander of the Kingsguard um, at this time, used to be a staunch defender of Queen uh, Rhaenyra. And later was the one who stabbed the master of coins that tried to storm out of the ma- the small council meeting that was trying to usurp the crown from that same princess. Why did he switch allegiances? Yeah. And there's a this is where prime. This is where Meister is like, is he this or is he, is he this? Because a lot of Maesters to say, well, it's probably this. Or it's probably that. He might have felt jilted. Mushroom has got the whole like, well, he's actually <laughs> upset that Prince Damon was fucking his niece. And, yeah, did, you know, like, yeah, everybody's yeah, skirts. Yeah, yeah. yeah this, this. So this is what I love. You should be feeling right now as we're talking about the Izzy Izzy. Uh, and you think back to like Jamie Lannister, right? Oh, he's the Kingslayer. Yeah. Is he? Why is he? You know, all all these components of Game of Thrones feel like they're there, uh, which is the most exciting thing about all of this news that's coming out is I feel like they're going to really nail the things that I loved about that first series. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of like the next generation when you're like, oh, Data. Oh, he's like the Spock, you know, like this, this, yeah. uh, this. This Lord Commander of the Kingsguard, Kristen, he seems like he's got the humble beginnings and ambitions of the little of a little finger, but the good looks, lady killer, uh, swordsmanship of Jamie Lannister. Mm-hmm. And imagine that. Like that's like a total fucking package, right? Yeah. Um and he's, you know, uh all he just needs is someone to scheme and and he'd have the full package. So I'm excited about that. And again, this is the you know, the whole you don't really know the whole story, which keeps this very mysterious and where they could do some interesting, exciting things with the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to talk about this mushroom character because he's, hasn't been cast, but like, 
He's a dwarf who so- served as the fool to the courts of Viserys, Aegon II, Rhaenyra, and Aegon III. You know, wow. uh, so so four generations of, of Targaryens. He's allegedly recorded the events that occurred during his time at their courts in the testimony of the Mushroom, written by an unknown scribe. His tales are filled with plot of tales of plots, murders, trysts, debaucheries, and many other salacious claims. The Fool's account is frequently cited by Archmaester uh, uh, Galden in his Targaryen history, which is what became Fire and Blood. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm interested in seeing you know, and I think it would be cool if, as a framing device, this there's this there's no way. Um, but as a framing device, it'd be pretty cool to bring Peter Dinklage back to just play this kind of like the public image of Tyrion as the drunken sex crazed imp, <laughs> like just lean fully into that. He's like the crypt keeper. Imagine yeah. like every, at the beginning of every episode, he's like, you know, he's got his jalice of wine and he's in old age makeup and he's, you know, and he's like, let me tell you about the true history of, I think that would be cool, but also how the fuck do you get him? How do you get Dinklage to come back to game of Thrones again? And I I don't. Yeah. And and play this very silly character. Um, But like, I feel like he's they they got to cast this guy. He's he gets mentioned all the fucking time in fire and blood. He is the court fool for all of these various characters. Uh, They're central figures. Um, It'd be a neat nod to like, um, you know, like Tyrion's role in in the later histories of a little man casting a large shadow. I I think it'd be cool, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. That's that's like really fan service bullshit casting. And I would um, say like, oh, there's absolutely no way they bring Peter Dinklage back to play this character in any capacity, whether it's voiceover narration or whether it's, you know, mm-hmm. him appearing on screen. But Game of Thrones has done some weird casting stuff in the past. You know, they recast the mountain 600 times. It's true. Uh, they, they They are not opposed to doing things that seem like, oh, you can't do that. That doesn't make any sense. So who knows? Who knows? Yeah, yeah, I'd like to see that character. Sounds fun. Uh, So let's talk about what what's actually happening. Like this is all the behind the scenes, the casting, uh, the backstory. What is the state of production? What's happening right now? It's in production. Um, I think this month it started actually filming over uh, in England. They're kind of moving because a lot of the. Filming took place, I think, in like uh, Ireland, right? Or, or is it Scotland? Mm-hmm. I think that's where it isn't. I, I thought it was Scotland where they filmed a lot of the Dragonstone places, like the the cliffs. And oh, whatnot. it's Ireland, yeah. They, um, and and a lot of like Spanish filming too in Spain. Um, because that's where, yeah. Because like a lot of this is is going to take place in King's Landing and Dragonstone, which are established locations, and they're probably going to continue using them. Right. So it seems like um. Now that now that Warner and HBO are teamed up here on this, um, mm-hmm. they're going to be moving production studios over to England. So a lot of this filming is going to be taking place there, um, especially like this Dragonstone stuff that used to be shot in Ireland and in Spain is now going to move there. Uh, they're shooting for a 2022 release on this. So I, I don't I don't have any more detailed information. Does that mean late 2022, early 2022? I'm assuming. Mid to late is probably what we can expect. Yeah, but you never um, know. I mean, this is early. They do three, four months of primary filming. They do three, four months of post production. And depending I mean, spring, on the story, you know, they might not need a ton was, of effects work. 
True, true. And and spring was the traditional kind of kickoff for Game of Thrones. Like, yeah. I think one year it slipped to July. But either of those uh, I could see. Like, uh, late, I don't know. Do you think late 2022? I think Game of Thrones, I think, I think HBO is eager to get this back on the air. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. They keep sending me emails telling me to do my rewatch of Game of Thrones. So they're eager to make <laughs> well, something happen iron- with it. It's the Iron Anniversary. It's the 10th anniversary of Game of Thrones debuting just like God. a couple weeks ago. So, yeah. It's a long time. Yeah, we've been doing this a long fucking time, Jim, it turns out. Yeah. But as you can guess, um, um, with Rhaenyra's having this as her home base, it's going to be set largely in Dragonstone. Um, so look for a lot of those locations. Yeah, there's a cool quote from Ryan Condal, the showrunner uh, on the Stuff That Dreams Are Made Of podcast. Um He's talking about the swords and how he loves swords and like the making of them. Uh, and he alludes that there's these very famous swords like Blackfire and Dark Sister. Um, and he says that they're going to bring a very specific designer that does this kind of stuff professionally, does museum recreations of existing swords. Um, and uh, he's he's designing when a lot of people think they're talking about Blackfire and Dark Sister. We talked about Dark Sister, which is the sword wielded by Aegon the Conqueror's sister, Visenya. Um, and at that time, you know, princess or Prince Damon is the one that possesses that and Blackfire, which was the main battle sword, broad sword of Aegon the Conqueror, uh, gets passed down to this Aegon the second character, uh, on the green party. So you've got, you know, it's not only Targaryen versus Targaryen, but their ancestral swords are, are being wielded by opposite sides of the battle too. So that's going to be cool. Cause like there's a lot of lore and mystery behind these swords that informs our understanding of like the Blackfire rebellion and even was a big part of theory crafting because like, if you'll remember like one of the, one of the cooler stories of like why Varys was trying to support this one Targaryen over the other uh, is because like this, you know, the, the, this, this guy named Bittersteel went across after the Blackfire rebellion and founded the golden company and legend said that he had Blackfire and he was saving it for the true, uh, heir to the Targaryen throne and that this was going to be some kind of false dragon in opposition to Dan. All that shit went th- got thrown out the window in the final season of, of uh, Game of Thrones, <laughs> but I'm wondering if there's going to be some hints into some of that that history that will allow us to be more informed of uh, you know the, the current season. Because that, that's always the great. It's like if, if this is an entertaining story in its own right and if it can deepen our appreciation of the existing material, it's a win-win. Sure. Uh, so we've talked about a lot of like cautious optimism and why we're looking forward to, uh, this new series. Um, but let's talk about some meta stuff. Cause I think the, the biggest question we get asked this all the time, do we think the prequels are going to be able to recapture the glory years of game of Thrones? Like the core, like season one through season four, or, or maybe five and six, if you want to like people, people have different times of when the show kind of fell off a cliff or yeah. when started losing some wheels on the wagon. Uh, but like season one through four, you know, I guess prime game of Thrones. What do you think? It depends on what you mean by recapture the glory. Are you talking about the amount of people watching it? Are you talking yes, about the quality of the storytelling? Yes. The, the, the excitement in the fandom. You're talking yes. about all of it. Holy shit. Oh, the whole thing. Yeah. I don't know if it can, re- can recapture that. Like TV is so fragmented now and, I know this is going to be big, but also a lot of people were disappointed by the end of season eight. Uh, particularly, I are you going to get all those people back eventually? You know, can you can you give it a season or two? And and everybody says, oh, this is the best thing on television again. You got to come back. 
it's you know a new story new creators none of this the double d's bullet point bullshit Mm -hmm. maybe you get there a few seasons in but you're not going to get there right away there are a lot of people who feel burned by game of thrones that's true but like it was commonly said that 100 million people were watching game of thrones worldwide at the beginning of season eight and i find it very hard to believe that 50 percent of those people won't come in for especially the pilot episode but for more uh more generally the first season and if it's good i think it's going to retain that base and then like people that were the other 50 million that are kind of like yeah fuck game of thrones might start coming back to the fold on the other hand if this is seen as like aggressively average Mm -hmm. i think you're going to see that 50 million rapidly erode and the other thing is like Game of Thrones brought a lot of people to the fantasy table, yeah, like Jim Jones included. Uh huh. Like I remember Bill Simmons. Like I used to listen to him a lot, and he's like, "I'm not gonna, I don't, I don't watch these walking through the woods things." And then around <laughs> season three, the Red Wedding brought him in, and he because and the thing is, is the Game of Thrones slow burnt. Yeah, that Dungeons and Dragons shit, right? Like you didn't get the dra- I mean, you got dragons at the end of the first season, but like there was no hint of really any kind of magic. It was just all like, you know, house of cards, feudal system. Well, they started with this is not White that, Walker, but yeah, I, I guess that's true. You start with like a, a monster mystery in, in the yeah. uh, the cold open, but then they never get back to that right. until like Danny's dragons are born at the end of season one. Mm hmm. Uh, so you got all, you know, 10 hours of television to win people over with your sex position and your intricate plotting and your scheming and all that kind of stuff. This is not that this is you got dragons flying in the air. You got pyromancers. You got, you know, uh, ex- exotic women from lease doing spells and shit like this is going to be very fantasy in your face right away. Oh, boy. Don't so, say that, like, man, because now that's started to turn me off. I've they got, <laughs> See, well, they got me right. So so they yeah, slow yeah, burned yeah, yeah. me enough that now I'm in. And if they can keep enough political intrigue, enough uh, scheming, right. enough of the, the more grounded stuff in there, even if there yeah. are dragons in every other scene. I think I'm going to stick with it. I think I'm going to be okay. But that's the thing. That's what I'm saying. Like, this has to be good TV. This has to be eight out of not 10 or better. If this is a bunch of five out of 10, six out of 10 stuff, like everybody, I think is going to rapidly lose interest and you're going to left, be left with the diehards. You're going to, I mean, I, I think that's the thing. Like this could be a monster show just because 10%, mm-hmm. let's say 10% of the diets that like the people that think that had no issue with season eight of game of Thrones. That's 10 million people. That's a <laughs> right. lot of people watching this show. Um, so like, you know, it's like, but like, again, like I, I really, eh, man, another universe uh, season eight went a different way. And this is like, this is the most hotly anticipated show of all time. It's, it's crazy. If you went back five years and said that, like, there'd be tepid interest of the prequels to game of Thrones, you would not believe it. Yeah. It'd be like tepid interest in the next Marvel property, you know, like, but here we are. Um, do you think this has any impact on Martin finishing his goddamn books? <sighs> Ugh. <laughs> I don't know, For, man. Because I... he's he's now like he's won the co he's co-creator, executive producer, like he's working on the show in some capacity i mean he's always been working on other things that's been part of the problem right he i know he just needs to sit down and write the fucking books which we've been saying for 
years, years and years and years now. Um, I, and I don't has, think this is going to help or hurt. It's like, and who knows how involved he's going to be, right? I mean, he's right. a co-executive producer. It's not like he's the showrunner. It's not like he right. has to be there every single day keeping things on track. I'm sure he's going to have a lot of input, but can he continue to do other things in the in the meantime? Yeah, is he Probably. like the executive producer in the same way that the Cohen brothers are executive producers on Fargo, in which they just J.J. essentially is an executive producer on everything? Yeah, yeah they just cash checks and and right. uh, nod every once in a while and are kind of aware of what you're doing, or that he's a, is he actually going to? Because in in the first few seasons, Martin wrote episodes, he broke the scripts, he did like he was intimately involved mm-hmm. until like the the show started overtaking him. I will say that for the first time in three years, he started making definite concrete statements about making significant progress on winds of winter and all that kind of stuff. But shit, six years ago, he was reading chapters at conventions, preview chapters. Um, So like, I just don't know. And if, if like maybe the fact that the public cooled off on game of Thrones and like gave him some mental space to kind of like work on it, but like if this is good, like let's say he gets wins out and it's seen as like nine out of ten, like better than dance, a clear improvement over like because a lot of people think that dance and feast are kind of like plotting and slow and not as exciting as the first three novels. Yeah, but there it's the middle part. It's a set piece. You're moving towards the grand climax If wins comes out and it's amazing. And this series comes out and it's amazing. I wonder if the same distraction engine that sapped his creative energy for years and years will start up again and we'll just never get and it's, you know, a dream of spring. It's pretty clear also that some of his attention has turned, his interest has turned to the fire and blood, right? Like between writing yeah. th- that, that history um, and starting this show, this being the show that he pitched first, right? He's clearly, right. this is where and his he's mind done with is. This. He's done. He he wrote this like, you know, like the well, there's a second volume, the, isn't there? Um, is he well, done with has, that? It, the, no, it, it isn't. But like the, the Dance of Dragons is done at the end of Fire and Blood. So like all the major oh, okay. like we okay. know, like and then they can make, take liberties with it. But like we know the main the main beats like it'd be like writing a, a movie about World War Two. Like, you know, Hitler's going to get beat. You know, the emperor of Japan's going to get defeated. You know, there's going to be a bombing in Dresden. There's going to be two atomic bombs dropped. You know, there's going to be a yeah. landing in Normandy. But there's still a lot of places to tell those stories, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I I just don't I don't know because I can't figure out Martin. He's kind of a weird guy. I don't uh, know, man. What He's... motivates him? What inspires him? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, he clearly that... doesn't seem to be motivated by mortality, which yeah. is what worries me about him. But because the thing is, is like I do think that. Um, Game of Thrones, the property was pretty mishandled in the last season or two. And best case scenario to get this thing back on track is if Martin finishes his books and people like, oh, even if Brand's King, like, oh, this is a way more cooler and believable than it happened. And because like, I I think that the the still Game of Thrones always looked amazing and the Mm -hmm. characters were iconic. And if you just had like, if I read the book I would be very easy to see uh, Amelia Clark and Kit Harrington in those roles and kind of like almost rewrite the last season in my own mind. And like it would raise it. Its estimation would go up in my uh, my, my mind's eye. And then you get House uh, of Dragons and it's amazing. Like suddenly Game of Thrones is re and I could even see we've talked about this a couple of times. <laughs> like if I'm HBO and Martin finishes these books 
wh- who says no to just redoing the five, the last three seasons of Game of Thrones? Let's call it like, I don't know, Game of Thrones. What actually? Ha- I don't know what you would call it. Game of Thrones revisited. Game of like you know the Je- the Zack Sn- and we we've got instances right, of this, right. like the Zack Snyder cut True. where Warner Brothers spent what. 50 to 75 million to reshoot and rescore and do all this stuff for this four hour fucking version. And, you know, Warner Brothers and HBO are in bed now. Like that's money just to leave it on the table. If you don't do it, you got the rights to it. Like, I I think that would that would really just then Game of Thrones is back to being the juggernaut again. It's just the weird tone that they take in their emails. Like uh, I talked about these emails that I've been getting. It's like start your rewatch of the greatest show in the history of television. No one has ever complained about this show on the internet or face to face in person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nothing's wrong with it. That's the tone that I get from HBO, but which of course they would have to have that tone, right? They can't say we made a giant piece of shit and, uh, and please don't watch it. Like we, yeah, yeah. We, we had two guys who were, uh, you know, underqualified and bored at the end and run out of material. (laughs) And we just let them run this thing into the ground and destroy all this goodwill and momentum. And again, I know there's, there are people who admire, there's people that I respect. Like Kim Renfro is all still always carrying a torch for game of Thrones. And I obviously respect her and her opinion. Uh, I just think that the majority of us were were burnt. Yeah, yeah. You know, we weren't unbowed, unburnt, unbroken. We were all we were the opposite of all those things. We were not the 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 Dornish. We were the I don't know. Uh, we yeah, were so the Heron Halls. It just got burnt in a castle at the end of this thing. Um, nah, and I'm not I, seeing it. But I every time I talk about this in the public, I, I get several people in my mentions being like, you know, f- I'm yeah, fucked it. I don't believe that. No, I, I would believe, watch it in a heartbeat for sure. Yeah. If nothing else, just for schadenfreude, like, like, ah, yeah, I want to see if they can fuck it up even. But yeah, there's going to be massive interest in this first season. And there's oh. so much pressure, so much pressure on these people. Then some of them don't have a lot of proven track record. I just I hope they can pull it off, man. I really do. I'm rooting for him. In our yearly award him. show, we have a category called highest risk, highest reward. And that would certainly make the cut. You're you're talking. We're going to go back and do three potentially three seasons of the end of this show again what mm-hmm. if they suck more what if people hate them more mm. that's oh boy that's a big yeah, risk man. you're taking yeah sure is um so we'll see we'll see yeah. we got about a probably a year maybe eight uh maybe uh 18 months or so somewhere between 12 and 18 months we will be consuming this product and seeing how it goes so we're going to starting next week, we're going to flip the keys back to Anthony, Maester Anthony, who's going to continue his electric bookaloo. Uh, if you weren't aware that uh, he does a weekly show where he's going through a chapter by chapter book club, of game of Thrones, going to continue doing that. Uh, he takes a break every 10 episodes or so, uh, takes a couple weeks off, and we're going to come in, in those gaps going forward. And we're going to start doing little miniature roundups. And I, I don't know. This is this is going to end up being about an hour and a half long. Um, but we're going to catch up the casting news. We're going to see if there's any leaks from the sets. We're going to try to figure out what's going on at this show. Um, so every couple months, we're going to be updating this. So stay subscribed. And then again, when House of Dragons uh, finally lands, it's going to be right here. It's mm-hmm. going to be ground zero. So so keep the for- keep the feed warm and ready. Yeah, let the dragon fire assist you with that. <laughs> Is that it? That's it, man. I think, I, 
thought we rounded this up pretty well. Pretty good preview. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of months with another installment. Please enjoy the electric bookaloo in the meantime. Um, and uh, yeah, it's good to talk about Game of Thrones again. Hoping, hoping for a dream of a successful franchise <laughs> going forward. Because I really want, I really want to love this thing. Yeah, we'll me see too. how it goes. I'm excited about All it. All right. See you in a couple months. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. Later, everybody.